Blog Talk Radio. Hey there, Dr. Ross Green here. It is time for another edition of Parenting Your Challenging Child. I'm joined by my co-host, Susie Parton, who is joining in from upstate New York. Susie, how are you today? I'm good, thanks. How are you, Dr. Green? I am well. I have a bit of an agenda today before we get to our two callers. I hope they'll be patient and hang on. Um, There's an article that's been sort of making its way in the web called Why I Praised My Kid for Threatening Me. Have you seen this? No, I'm sorry, I haven't. I'm going to read it because um, I thought it was a fascinating um, a fascinating article that um, about Plan A. Um, but it's um, it's an interesting it's an interesting twist on Plan A. So I'm going to read it. It's by um, Sarah McLaughlin, who seems to be a licensed social worker, refers to herself as a mom, parent, coach, and warrior for kindness. No problem there, but here we go. This is going to take a while, but I thought I'd read it. It says, like many parents, I struggle with setting limits around screens. Once upon a time, as an experiment, I enacted a no-screens-during-the-week rule for my son, and it worked for a while. By the way, I just want to make sure we're clear. No screens during the week is plan A. Uh, Imposition of adult will, a unilateral solution to a problem that could be solved collaboratively. And that's a very important point. And it worked for a while until the weekday holiday when I slid the limit. Then a deadline led to the rule being further overlooked. The final downfall was letting him play with my phone on the way to school to get us out the door in the morning. My boundary was pretty much toast. Well, I would say that differently. I would say the solution was pretty much toast. Things were not going well. The ramifications of my lapsed limits became unbearable. I owned the problem and told him we would be going back to our original limited screen week. Plan A again. The next morning, he asked with a perfect combination of seven-year-old confidence and trepidation, so can I have your phone on the way to school? No, I said. He whined. I told him that I understood his upset. Now, that's empathic, but it's empathic in the context of plan A. That's a different empathy. He argued. I explained my reasoning. That's explaining plan A. He said he was going to find my phone and play anyways. I think he's giving her plan A back. I acknowledged that he wanted to be in in charge of my phone. More empathy, but still plan A. He demanded the phone, A. I said no again. He stood by the kitchen table next to his half-eaten cereal, scowled and said, if you don't give me your phone, I'm going to pick up this bowl and throw it at you. Uh Uh-oh. I hear your strong feelings about wanting my phone, more empathy, still in the context of plan A. Please do not throw that bowl. We stared each other down and took a deep breath. I took a deep breath. 
Because I have a good understanding of the brain, I knew he was coming from an irrational place. If I had fallen prey to my triggers, I would have ended up yelling or worse. As tempting as that is when my child acts up, I know it will always escalate the situation and maybe even bring about that which I'm aiming to avoid, in this case a bull flying at my head. After getting myself calm, I could see his threat for what it was, just a threat, and an indicator that he was stuck in his emotional brain. He was not rational, but he hadn't spiraled into a full-blown meltdown either. When he got in the car for the drive to school, he asked a couple more times why he could not have my phone. I explained again and acknowledged how hard it must be to understand my reasoning. More empathy in the context of Plan A. By the way, that's my editorial comment. That's not in the article. At his age, he possibly can't get, he can't possibly get my grown-up long-view perspective. I bet he could. That's me again. That's when I found myself complimenting him. I noticed that you were able to control yourself and not throw that bowl this morning, even when you were really mad. That was you learning to stay in charge of yourself, even though you were feeling upset. Because I like to offer a vote of confidence that he would be able to get to the next level of keeping himself regulated, I added, next time you might even be able to say just how mad you are instead of threatening to throw a bowl. I could have regarded his behavior that morning as unacceptable. Many would have made sure he knew just how unacceptable by dishing out shame, blame, or punishment. However, the unacceptable behavior of being sassy and making threats was a huge step up from previous behavior like aggression and losing it entirely. I try to remember that raising a human being is a marathon, not a sprint, and that I can always shift my perspective. I have a choice whether to focus on how far he's come versus how far he still has to go. The former, still feels, the former feels better for me, and I'm guessing better for him too. Um, I thought this was interesting because it speaks to the fact that people often do their empathy after they've done plan A, imposed a solution. But it seemed to me that this was very interesting because, um, I mean, I would call this A, empathy, and then empathy, A. But the question I have, of course, is why are we imposing a solution on this unsolved problem? That's where this whole thing went awry in the first place. Why not engage the kid in a collaborative effort to solve this problem together? Then he owns it. We understand what's getting in his way. None of this stuff was present in this. Uh, He understands what our concerns are. Why should we assume he can't understand what our concerns are? I think he can. I don't know him, but um, most kids can. What set a lot of this in motion that we're praising him for was the unilateral solution that got the whole ball rolling in the first place. Why not be collaborative from the get-go? Susie, I bet you probably have some thoughts on that, too. Um, it just, you know, sounds that there uh, could have been, um, obviously, a much better way to resolve the problem and seeing it through the prism of lagging skills and unsolved problems is the way to go. Um, It's 
it's not uh, really teaching him any skills when, by using Plan A and imposing her will. And, uh, well, that's what I think. There's just... I guess... I guess that where a lot of people take the wrong turn is they think the goal is to get their kid good at handling plan A. I don't think the goal is to get your kid good at handling plan A. I think your goal is to get the kid good at solving problems with you so that you don't find yourself with a kid threatening to throw a bowl at you in the first place. We do have some callers, at least two. Great. Here we go. Area code 206. You are on the air. What's on your mind today? Area code 206. Let's put area code 206 back on hold and go to area code 864. You're on the air. Did you have a question or comment today? Yes. Hello. Thank you for having me. Pleasure. Hello. Yep. We um, hear you. Yeah. So I um, I have two uh, explosive children and have read your book some years ago, but have returned to the Life in the Balance website. I've been trying to use Plan B um, for the last few months, and I have a question that my younger son, who um, I, I I believe you know his. One of his overriding lagging skills is low frustration tolerance, um, which is permeates a lot of unsolved problems. Um, and so I actually have a couple of questions, but um, we've done some specific plan B. For example, when it's time to stop the television, et cetera. Um, and I have some questions about that. My other question, though, is because there's this, low frustration tolerance, um, has a very hard time any time um, something doesn't go his way or he doesn't get what he wants. And on the one hand, this is predictable, but the particular circumstances aren't predictable always, right? So um, he, we're in the grocery store and he asks for a particular item, um, you know, and we're not going to buy that today um, or I guess my question is, how do I plan B for things that aren't specific? I know plan B needs to be specific. Um, but because the situation is different each time, the problem that arises from the lagging skill is different each time, then I'm struggling with that. Um, the other thing that, that happens is he tends to be... Um, the the nice way to say it is very creative. <laughs> um, when we when I try to plan B, so it's very difficult to get him to talk. So maybe I can give you an example. Um, we were at a school carnival, and he was in the bouncy houses, and we had a certain number of tickets, and we talked about how many tickets we had and how many times to go in the bouncy house. And when the tickets were over, we used all the tickets. He was angry that he couldn't take another turn, and so we talked about, you know, that we were all out of tickets, and I literally was had used all of the cash I had, and so we had ended up with a, a meltdown. After the fact, the next day when he's calm, I tried to do a plan B discussion where I said, okay, I noticed that you got upset 
when it was time to leave the bouncy house, what's up? And it, it was difficult for him to articulate. I did try your, your thumbs up, thumbs down approach. I've heard that in a previous um, uh, broadcast. Um, but what I got to was eventually he, none of the things I suggested were, were he, was he agreeing with, eventually he came up with a story about how he had gotten hurt while he was in the bouncy house and he had tried to tell me that he got hurt, but I ignored him. And that's what made him mad. All this to say, the story he spun about why he reacted the way he did was not factual. Um, and so I'm, I'm stuck with what to do with that because this happens often where the per- he explains away the particular frustration, the specific thing, with a fabrication of the event that's not accurate. And so then I'm sort of stuck on how to, you know, I know I can, I know we're trying to avoid behavior, so I don't want to say, why do you melt down when you don't get your way? <laughs> but I'm not sure where to go from there. Got it. Well, I'm glad you called in. Um, you're asking some great questions. Um, I get it that he has a low frustration tolerance, um, and I get it that not every time things don't go the way he thought they would or that he, quote-unquote, doesn't get his way, are not perfectly predictable. Mm-hmm. But if if we make a list of the ones that are fairly predictable, mm-hmm. um, I wouldn't worry about the ones that aren't predictable in the beginning, because if you make some headway on the ones that are, they may, they may not, but they may help you out with the ones that aren't. The ones that aren't, you're stuck in the heat of the moment, and you want to be coming up with solutions on the ones you can sort of plan for, at least in the beginning. Um, mm-hmm. So that's so. yes, there's going to be a lot of situations in which things don't go the way he thought they would and in which he doesn't get yeah. his way. Um, but if you're working on the predictable ones, they might serve mm-hmm. you well on the unpredictable ones too. So I wouldn't focus on the unpredictable ones. I'd focus on the predictable ones. Go ahead. Sorry. Okay. So then I have a question about the predictable ones and a question about the unpredictable ones. Go ahead. Um, So then in the unpredictable moments, I guess I'm struggling with how to respond because I'm trying to avoid plan A, but then it feels like we're just capitulating in those moments to avoid a meltdown. Well, that would be letting him have what he wants. So the tricky uh-huh. part is this. I don't know if you're going to get a ton of relief early on here in the heat of the moment. Because okay. I think that a plan B habit or a plan B rhythm, as I sometimes refer to it, is more likely to take hold when you're solving problems proactively than in the heat mm-hmm. of the moment. Right. Mm-hmm. So what you're hoping is that those proactive discussions serve you well in the heat of the moment at some point in the future. But I'm not sure how well much is going to work in the heat of the moment right now. And, yes, you're trying to avoid plan A. Um, You know, if you do plan A, it's not going to be catastrophic, although it's not going to be pretty either. Um, But what I find is that when you've done enough plan B proactively, then Mm -hmm. the kid knows what you are the, the kid recognizes that his concerns will be heard and his concerns will be addressed 
even if you find yourself in the heat of the moment another time, I just find that that's a hard thing to train up in the heat of the moment. It's much more practical to train it up proactively so that it will serve you well in the heat of the moment. Does that make sense? It does. So on the proactive side, um, yes. we've had a few successes, uh, but not consistent. So the one that we work on, are working on presently is being able to turn off the television when you know his time is up or he's watched a certain number of shows. And, and we... I struggle because some of the some of his concerns, like I said, um, are not always rooted in reality. And and I it's different. I understand the like things that I think are silly. First, it's not that. It's that the things he says are. So one of his concerns is that the, the concern he expressed during one of our discussions is that um, I lie. So he will you say. Lie. Mm-hmm. I lie. So the, but what happens is he will change, he will put words in my mouth. So we'll agree that he can watch two shows. At the end of the second show, he'll say, no, you told me I could watch three shows. Even though I know I told him that we, you know, we, that we agreed upon two, he will sort of change the story. And then mm-hmm. if I don't go along with his changed story, he accuses me of lying. And Got so it. one of the ways, the solutions we came up with is that we would write down Good. Before we start watching television, we write down our agreement, uh, and that is helpful most of the time. That you know that has been helpful, uh, and we've seen progress. But even just the other day, we wrote it down. Um, but then when we got here, he's like, "No, but that's not what I meant. I meant one show and then another show." You know, like he'll change the story of what we meant by what we wrote down, and so it's very hard for me, like we've come up with the solution that he's that so it works sometimes but then if he's you know not feeling like it or he's frustrated or there's you know something else going on or he doesn't want to do what we're about to go do then he'll you know sort of change that so um i'm trying to think through how you know how do i handle that when we've come up with a solution that works some of the time, but then sometimes he sort of reinterprets the solution, so to speak. Well, you have a few options. I mean, one option is to go back and revisit it on the um, to see if the solution you came up with is actually realistic and mutually satisfactory. And mm-hmm. I'm not privy to how you're coming up with the two-program solution. I'm not mm-hmm. privy to the degree to which it addresses the concerns of both parties or the degree to which he's actually good with it. You're there for that part. What I do know is if you sign off on a solution that he's not good with, then at some point you end up having him let you know that he's not good with it. Better to get that done in the invitation when you're talking about it. Um, so one question is whether the plan B process you're actually going through to arrive at that solution truly does get his concerns on the table, gets your concerns on the table, and whether the solution truly does address the concerns of both parties. Otherwise, you just hear about it later. But here's the interesting thing. You're bringing up two other very interesting things. One is that he tells you that the solution that he agreed to, even when you write it down, isn't what he agreed to just interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It sounds like that part's going better, but not perfectly better. What I might do mm-hmm. is, uh, it, but but I will say this, it made it sound like 
there's not sort of a permanent solution to the TV watching problem, but rather a, mm-hmm. um, a daily solution. You might be better right. served if it's not so willy-nilly and it's not so day-to-day. Um, but right. if he agrees, then you might want to include in the realistic and mutually satisfactory part of the discussion before you sign off on the solution something like, all right, now, sometimes after we agree to something and it's time for you to get off the TV, you say that you didn't actually agree to it. So I just want to make sure that we're good to go here um, and that that's not going to happen this time. And that's Mm -hmm. basically you taking how he is sometimes responding to something that he's agreed to, even though you've written it down, and trying to change the game a little bit, right? Probably, quite frankly, Mm -hmm. because he still wants to watch the TV. But it sounds to me like you might be better served if the solution wasn't day-to-day, but that you had a relatively stable, permanent solution in place. So that was one thing. The other thing was um, it's not – super unusual for kids, especially young ones, to, you know, sometimes kids, when they're just being asked about their concerns, sometimes they're not exactly sure. Sometimes they're saying stuff because they feel like they got to say stuff, right? So it's sort of interesting what comes out of kids' mouths. But you've got a few Mm -hmm. options there. If you feel like what you're being told is not exactly spot on, right? Mm-hmm. I would keep. Mm-hmm. Bottom line is, uh, the, the the I would I don't the truth comes out when you're drilling well. So what you can say to him is do some reflective listening. You can also do a discrepant observation, which is strategy number six on the drilling cheat sheet, um, and that's mm-hmm. where you're making an observation that differs from what he has observed. Right? That's not you're not saying he's lying. That's the last thing you'd want to do, but you are. Right. Your observations differed from his. You also have the option at the end of the empathy step of proposing some hypotheses for other things that could be going on. So you're, you're laying his concerns out there, right? And, but then you may be throwing some in there that you're saying, you know, I'm hearing your concerns and I'm hearing that there's no more. But I did want to throw a few things out at you that I was thinking could be going on. That doesn't mean this is what's going on, but I just wanted to run a few things by you. And this is before you leave the empathy step, right? Um, mm-hmm. And so just, be, just because he's laying something out there that you're thinking, I don't quite think that's it, and I don't think mm-hmm. that's quite what happened, doesn't necessarily mm-hmm. mean he's fabricating, it just means we've got to get okay. greater clarity, and you've got drilling strategies that will help you do it. Make sense? Okay. Yes, it does. And so, so if he um, – is ahead. it okay for me when, when he says something like, no, that's not what I agreed to, can I like, – I guess what I'm struggling with in all of this is at what point do we hold our kids to certain expectations and at what point that becomes plan A? Well, I think that you – try to hold him to his agreement. Okay. But I think I think the best time to deal with it is because a kid who's not sticking with an agreement is either mm-hmm. having difficulty sticking with the agreement or the agreement wasn't realistic and mutually satisfactory in the first place. So you've got a few different right. routes you can go, right? Route mm-hmm. number one is let's make sure that we have his concerns on the table and let's make sure we're not sort of um, – 
doing plan B, but really we already knew where the plane was landing before it took off. Uh Um, Uh So just make sure that you're doing the plan B process and that he's not agreeing to solutions that you know he's not going to do or that you know aren't really okay with him because that's just going to come back to haunt you when it comes time for him to do the solution, right? So the best time to deal with all of that is in the invitation. And if you feel like you've dealt with that well in the invitation, then as part of the invitation, I would add what I said earlier, which is now. I just Uh want to make sure because what I don't want to have happen is when it comes time for you to get off the TV, you're saying that this is not what you agreed to. So let's think about what we're going to do about that, too. You sure you're good with this? Yes. Mm-hmm. You sure you can do it? Yes. Are you going to give me a hard time when it comes to get off the TV? No. Well, he can't promise that, of course. Are you sure? Mm-hmm. Yes. But at least you guys are talking about it, right? And at mm-hmm. least you've got him agreeing to it, and then I think you're in a bit of a better position when the time comes to say, now, bud, look, we talked about it. This is what you agreed to. Um, For us to be able to come up with solutions like this together, we both got to do what we're agreeing to. So it's really important that you stick to what you agreed to. If you don't don't like what we agreed to, we can talk about it a little bit more later, but right now it's really important that you stick with what you agreed to. That's probably how I'd play it. Okay. All right, that's that's helpful. We will um, give that a try. Good. Let's see if Susie wants to weigh in before you go, though. Susie, what do you think? Um, I have two challenging children as well, Um, and my son had low frustration tolerance. Um, It it was just so helpful to um, keep a log and use the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems and make an appointment for a calm time to talk proactively with your child um, because they clearly don't have the skills to solve problems in the heat of the moment. Um, uh, My son changed his story frequently, um, what we had agreed to, and I thought I was losing my mind. Um, it it was uh, frustrating. So I think writing down your agreements was just a really terrific um, idea. Um, and I guess that's that's my two cents. Okay. Thank you. Now you've gotten two cents from everybody. Call in any time, um, and right, um, let's you. let's see how this stuff goes for you. All right. Thank you so much. Take care. Susie, we have another caller. We're going to see if area code 206 is back with us. Area code 206, are you there? Yeah. Can you hear me? We can. Hello? What's up today? Okay, great. Yep. Uh, I, I had heard you speak um, recently about um, starting – this process with kids, um, I don't remember exactly what you said, but before they could talk, um, I have a two-year-old daughter um, with another one on the way. Uh, my wife is actually 10 days overdue. Um, Yikes. And, yeah, and uh, we um, are just wanting to kind of get things off on, on the right foot with my two-year-old daughter um, and just curious how you have, how this works, 
how you have that conversation with somebody that young. Um, if, I don't know if you have examples or if it would help, be helpful for me to share, you know, situations that are challenging for her at the moment. Um, Go ahead. Uh, bedtime is, you know, that's probably a fairly common one that most parents would say is um, challenging. But, you know, uh, recently it's gotten more challenging. It's taking longer. Um, uh, there's, a lot, you know, lots of negotiating, like wanting more hugs, wanting, you know, this blanket, that blanket, um, wanting a little moon, wanting this stuffed animal over here, over there, don't leave, you know, lots of, um, uh, lots of requests. Um, and then recently with brushing teeth and washing hands and changing diaper has become more difficult. Um, so sometimes distraction works, sometimes not, but I guess it's gotten to the point where it's predictable and I'm, just wondering how to approach that with a two-year-old, if it's possible. Uh, and uh, Well, yes, it's possible to do it with a two-year-old. The unsolved problem sounds to me, and I don't want to be uh, hypothesizing here, but it sounds to me like she's um, pulling out all the stops to see if she can keep you from leaving the room. I think that's but, fair. Well, and I, but the thing is, I don't like theorizing, so I almost wish I hadn't said that. But it sounds like the the unsolved problem is um, difficulty. Um, you'd have to think about how to word this: staying in your room alone at bedtime, or difficulty when Daddy leaves the room at bedtime. Um, it sounds like that's because I don't know if you want to do each one separately difficulty deciding what blanket to use difficulty deciding xyz um, right. you could do it that way and that those would not be a bad entree into the unsolved problem is she verbal Are, is she able to talk to you about her concerns uh yes like a typical response you know she can say she's yeah she's fairly verbal she'll she can identify when she's sad. Um, she um, typically will say why she's sad. Sometimes she's sad because she's sad. But, um, you know, if you catch her in the moment, she'll be able to tell you why she was sad. Um, you know, but, uh, but yeah, that, so that makes sense um, to identify the leaving the room or changing the diaper as a difficulty. Yeah, well, uh, let's, let's stick with one, though. Because you got two different ones there. There's difficulty uh, staying in her room at night at bedtime, and there's difficulty getting her diaper changed. But I think you're going to have two different unsolved problems there. But it does sound like she's verbal enough to tell you um, that she wants uh, to make to, to, that she wants to decide on the blanket. Is she verbal enough to tell you that she doesn't want you to leave? Uh, yeah, probably. She's, she'd said made comments like that before, not necessarily in that moment, but um, because you can do some of the verbalizing for her and see if there's a way to confirm it for you. 
Um, mm-hmm. But the, the tricky part is how you're going to raise it with her. Um, but it would sound like this the way it's typically done. I just don't have the perfect sense of how exactly I would do it with your two-year-old. But I've noticed that it's hard for you when um, you have to stay in your room alone at night. What's up? Um, what we're looking for is whatever way you can get information from her related to what's hard about that. Um and if she's not able to tell you, and this can be done proactively when you guys are snuggling so she's not in trouble, you're not mad, you could use pictures if that would help her better. I don't think you're looking for feelings quite so much, although feelings are fine. I think you're looking for what her concern is. Because I don't think you're going to be able to address her feeling. You might, you can, the best you can do is address her concern. Um, I was the proud father of two, neither of whom was especially enthusiastic about having um, me leave after putting them to bed at night. And Mm -hmm. so the solution ended up being that I would lay with them for a period, um, 10 to 15 minutes. Now, of course, when I had two that were only two years apart, and maybe this was them being clever, but I didn't really care, I would fall asleep. And then when I woke up, they'd be um, asleep. And I would extricate myself from the bed and um, go do my thing. Um, But what they wanted as the solution was lay with me and listen to music. It's just that I would fall asleep way before they would, just because when you have two and you're about to experience this firsthand, it sounds like, um, you're going to be exhausted. And, you know, the interesting thing is um, you're looking to find out what her concerns are. And you're looking for a solution, and you might not hear from her that she doesn't want you to leave. That could be my incorrect hypothesis, right? Um, But I think that this could take place over more than one conversation, and you guys might be trying different solutions on for size. Um, The nice part is this. I don't know how much relief you're going to get on bedtime super quickly, although she might surprise you, right? The trick is to slowly but surely have her and you work on a solution together, continue to get back to her if the solution's not working, continue to emphasize that you need to know what's hard about it for her, continue to emphasize that it's important for her to know what's hard about it for you, and continue working together on solutions that will eventually work. Whether the first solution will work, I do not know. Probably not. Will you two eventually come up with a solution that works so that bedtime goes better? Yes. Um, Even if it doesn't work immediately, are you showing her how to work together with people and how to express her concerns and how to listen to other people's concerns and how to work together? Yes. So I think, yes, I'd love to see you get the bedtime problem solved quickly. Uh, I don't have the slightest idea how long it's going to take. Once again, she might surprise us but I'm delighted that she's starting to get some practice on solving problems collaboratively because that's going to serve her and you very well moving forward. But what do you think of all of that? Well, it sounds like you're saying the the process is more important than the solution at this age and so that, that the fact that she's learning to problem solve and that she's hearing her dad and mom empathize with her and try to understand her concerns um, is more important at this point than actually 
creating a, a solution in the moment because whether we continue on the path that we're doing by just, you know, kind of working through it, um, and by working through it, I mean um, just dealing with it, and um, or we, you know, start to problem solve with her, either way, it's going to be a while before things get better. So why not engage her in the process at this point? Um, that's, I, I don't know. That's what it sounds like you're saying. I like it better than the alternative. The, the reality is I don't know how long it's going to take to solve the problem. I'm, I'm, I'm number one, nothing lost by engaging her in the process. Right. How quickly the problem is going to get solved, I'm not sure. She, once again, she may surprise us. It may get solved quickly. But if you keep going back to it, eventually it will get solved. But getting her in the practice of her concerns first, your concerns next, trying to come up with a solution that addresses both of them, um, I think is great practice, even if it takes a little while to get this problem solved. Quite frankly, I hope this thing gets solved. Given your circumstances and what's about to hit, I hope this gets solved sooner than later. I just am not sure how quickly it's going to get solved. I was um, reminded of my two-year-old days on my flight from... Salt Lake City to Boston on Saturday when it was my distinct pleasure to be seated next to a two-year-old and her mom and dad. Yeah. And um, this was a two-year-old who had a mind of her own, and this was a two-year-old who was clearly very tired. So, of course, when did she finally fall asleep when there were 10 minutes left in the flight, right? So everybody got a good chuckle out of that one. But her parents were doing a very good job of distracting and um, trying to sort of maintain a balance between sort of some gentle limit settings so she, you know, wasn't running up and down the aisle of the airplane, but also, um, you know, trying to meet her needs. She was eating, you know, apples and... Um, they were reading and they were drawing and um, occasionally she wanted the other parent and they would be able to help her hold in, hang in there and then the other parent would relieve the one. And I just remember that, um, you know, you want to lay the template down with a two-year-old um, and you want to be, you want to stay away from plan A if you can. Plan A would have made for a much more unpleasant airplane journey both for me and her parents and her, um, and probably wouldn't have solved anything. So with two-year-olds, it's sort of this interesting dilemma because they are just at the precipice, if they're not there already, of having this stuff make sense to them. Um, So I do think you want to lay down the template. It's just that with two-year-olds, they can't always quite get their heads around this stuff. Um, doesn't mean plan A is your best friend because plan A takes forever, and I don't think plan A is the message you want to be sending her. It just means that it's kind of choppy and kind of messy as you're trying to lay down the template. Um, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, their their brain is developing, so we need to um, – it takes time. That makes sense. Uh, you know, I think – trying to manage as much as possible in the moment until we come up with a workable solution makes sense. But I think the key thing that I heard you say was, um, or the key message is that um, we start developing the habit of working on problems, working on solving problems together. 
so that she yep. understands. Um, so that we're, as she gets older, she's more successful, or we're more successful at that. Um, and hopefully things get a little bit easier. Now is the time to lay down that template. Now, I'm I'm not the expert on two-year-olds. I've only had two. Susie's had three two-year-olds. So <laughs> let's see if she wants to weigh in. Well, okay. I think good for you for realizing that it's a family problem and not just your daughter, that you have the right lenses on. Um, and just to emphasize how important it is to start talking early with your children, you practice talking with them. Um, little kids, little problems, my grandmother always said. Um, if you want, there are two new videos uh on the what's new um, part of Lives in the Balance, uh, one that shows Dr. Green using the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems, which is an incredibly useful assessment tool. Um, and the second shows Dr. Green uh, using Plan B with this 10-year-old boy and his parents. Um, the great thing about Plan B is is that the child's being listened to and they feel heard, and we all want to feel heard. Um, it It is a process. It takes a while. It takes less time than explosions and meltdowns, but it does make things better. And um, I hope you... We'll call in again and let us know what's going on. <laughs> I will. Thank you. Keep yeah, us we'll, posted we'll and right congratulations in advance. Oh, thank you so much. Thanks for your time. You bet. Take care. Bye. So, Susie. Yes? Uh, we don't have enough time to answer another question. We've got emails that we've been holding off on for many weeks now, but I'm, it's very exciting that we are getting as many callers as we on, are on this program. Boy, those two-year-olds are um, quite something, aren't they? This kid was just as cute as a button. Um, was showing me everything that she was doing. Um, uh-huh. But every once in a while, she hit the wall and... Um, you know, I was sitting there thinking, uh, you know, these parents may not even know about Plan B. They're just doing this stuff instinctively. Um, but, um, boy, they were finessing things beautifully and um, gently setting limits, but not um, to the point that it would cause her to lose it. And great distracting and talking her through things. I was just uh, sitting there thinking, um, you know, these people are these people are doing it. They mm-hmm. they may not be doing formal plan B, but they're laying the template down right now. And you know what's interesting? The mom was pregnant, so apparently there's a lot of this going around. <laughs> um, but um we do not have a program next week. All right. I will be on vacation. Great. And a badly needed vacation, but we will be back again on Monday, April 25th, once again at 11 a.m. Eastern Time. Um, So I hope that that, uh, everybody has a great two weeks. Susie, any parting words before we call it a day? 
no parting words. No parting words? Then we are going to call it day just a minute early here. Talk to you in two weeks. All right. Take Thanks care. Thanks always, 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 Susie. Take care.